Shopify is supporting Powwow Pitch to scale across Turtle Island this year to grow our support for Indigenous entrepreneurs. Visit shopify.com forward slash powwow pitch to scale with us by selling your products online with a 60 day free trial. Entrepreneurship and innovation have always been an integral part of Indigenous ways of life. And today, this is inspiring sustainable and transformational solutions. To learn more about how RBC supports Indigenous communities and businesses, visit rbc.com forward slash Indigenous. Small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome everyone to the Powwow Pitch Podcast, a show empowering Indigenous entrepreneurs. I am your host, Sunshine Quem Tenasco, and I'm an entrepreneur from Kitagon Zibi Anishinaabe. I got my entrepreneurial start on Dragon's Den selling baby moccasins, and today I'm the creator of Powwow Pitch and Her Braids a children's book author, a water protector, a mom, and an advocate of Indigenous entrepreneurs. Each year, Powwow Pitch supports thousands of Indigenous entrepreneurs to tell their stories. I launched this podcast to grow the reach of our entrepreneurial wisdom connected to our rich culture and deep roots as Indigenous people. On this podcast, I interview some of the most successful Indigenous entrepreneurs, makers, and creators to share their stories, learnings, and wisdom to lift us all. The Powwow Pitch Podcast is a production of Powwow Pitch, syndicated through the Startup Canada Podcast Network and co-presented by RBC, Shopify, and MasterCard, with the support of an entire ecosystem of partners committed to the success of Indigenous entrepreneurs. Every few weeks, we drop a new episode, so be sure to subscribe to the Powwow Pitch podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to the Powwow Pitch podcast. Also, be sure to visit us at powwowpitch.org to sign up for our newsletter to get in on the loop about support, resources, funding, and opportunities for Indigenous entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Powwow Pitch Podcast. I'm your host, Sunshine Tenasco, and today I have a super special guest, um, a friend of mine that we've known each other for uh, for a couple of moons now. Shadi Hafez is an Algonquin, Anishinaabe, and Syrian, a PhD student in sociology at the University of Toronto, a Yellowhead Institute Research Fellow, and the program manager to the National Association of Friendship Centers, uh, an organization that I also hold near and dear to my heart. They do amazing work. Uh, Shadi has over 15 years of experience working directly with and for Indigenous communities and is committed to supporting their development in health, social well-being, and economic autonomy. Today, we'll be talking about the Friendship Center movement, the Investment Readiness Program for Social Innovators and Enterprises, and Economic Restitution for Indigenous People. So let's get started. Quay, hi, Shadi. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, never done a podcast before. So it's pretty cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, I, 
Let's first talk about uh, friendship centers. I love the friendship center movement. I actually used to work at NAFC uh, a couple of moons ago before I started in the entrepreneurial um, direction. But uh, I think it's such an amazing place for uh, urban Indigenous people to go and to, to feel safe and all that good stuff. So can you tell us a bit about the work of the Friendship Centers and how they support Indigenous communities? Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned it, you know, just now, and, and it really kind of clearly identifies, you know, the Friendship Centers are spaces, you know, where people can, it's a home away from home or a home in home, I guess, or, you know, a home where you live, but a place for, for indigenous people living in the city to, to feel safe and welcome and, and to have a space that's their own, that they can call their own. Um, I know, you know, for myself, uh, growing up in the city, uh, the Friendship Center was uh, like the only space, you know, at the time that, that, you know, I have really fond memories of going to the Friendship Center as a, as a really young person and um, just being able to be around community and, 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 and such. Um, but right across the country, uh, friendship centers, you know, are, are uh, pretty strong urban indigenous institutions that, you know, provide full wraparound services to uh, indigenous people living in cities and, and small towns as well. Um, this can be like health programming, cultural programming, uh, elders, seniors programs, housing, uh, homelessness programs, uh, they host community events, you know, powwows, round dances, feasts, um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, we're in Ottawa here, and, the, you know, the local Friendship Center here, Odawa hosts, you know, a lot of programs and events for the city, and myself, you know, I participate in a lot of their healthy living initiatives, they do, um, this summer they have some golf stuff, and they have volleyball, and they have a really great gym there, so, I mean, uh, yeah, they're, they're just really great spaces uh, for the community as a whole, and uh, they do really good work right across the board. Mm-hmm. I, I agree completely. And for those of us who don't know, I don't know if you have these statistics sort of offhand, but how many friendship centers are uh, running across uh, Canada? There's well over 100 friendship centers right now. Um, in terms of the exact number, they, they do tend to fluctuate. Uh, we get new friendship centers emerging uh all the time, but uh, we're, we're looking at uh, over 100 right now, um, right across uh, the country. There's a friendship center in every province and territory. There's a friendship center in every large city, uh, mm-hmm. medium-sized city, and pretty much small city now. And, and there's there's even some in places as small as uh, we have a friendship center. I, I don't remember the, the name of the place that it's in, but I know that the population is like 500 people. So um, there's, you know, Right from the, the smallest towns to the largest cities, there's there's a friendship center. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you live, uh, and in some cities, I actually have two friendship centers. And so, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it really depends. But, um, yeah, they're right across the board. So, Yeah, I know when we, uh, you know, sometimes my work uh, lets me travel. I often get invited to friendship centers just like randomly. And I went to... Um, the one in Vancouver Mm -hmm. on one of their, um, I don't even remember what it was called, like the social night or whatever. And we went there, a couple of us girls, and it was like basically a pretty big powwow and there was vendors set up and they just literally do this. I don't know if it was once a month or once a week, but like Dallas Arcan, who like is a world-class hoop dancer who like gets travels all over the place right to to hoop dance he was just there practicing I guess he must have lived there at the time and it was so like wow like that's what this friendship center does on the regular it sort of like blew my mind and each each friends friendship center that I visit sort of has a different um they all have a different feel in what they're like uh, strong suit is, I guess you could say, but like it's all home and family. So that's like the common thread, right? The the community. So it's just really, really obviously yeah. that's that's why I love the Friendship Center movement is because you can just walk in anywhere and feel comfortable and at home. And yeah. No, I was just going to say it's a cool story that the Vancouver Friendship Centers are really it's a big center. It's uh, it's actually one of the oldest centers in Canada. Uh, it emerged uh, 
the, the, the first three friendship centers in Canada were in Vancouver, Toronto, and Winnipeg. And it originally started as the uh, Kokolitsa Fellowship Society and um, founded by uh, one of our uh, NASC senators, Marge White, who actually just won the Inspire Award, um, uh, I think it was two years ago, uh, Lifetime Award. And, um, but yeah, that, that friendship center movement in Vancouver goes back to the 1950s. Um, so very old history there. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned like, you know, each center having its own distinct kind of specialization, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it is interesting because, you know, like, you know, where, where we're at, like in KZ and the Manawaki Friendship Center, like the Manawaki Friendship Center is really youth oriented, you know, you go there and, and a lot of their programs and services are oriented towards young people, towards youth. Some centers are really oriented towards uh, seniors and elders, some uh, um I'd say like uh, the Odawa Center here, just like that healthy living program and mm-hmm. um, uh, having uh, the Sheridan over there is such a great asset for them that they have such a strong, you know, uh, athletics program there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, each one kind of has like their little thing that they're really good at. So, yeah, it's, it's cool. Right on. Their own flavor. Um, yeah, so I'd like yeah. to hear more <laughs> about um, the investment readiness program. Uh, I know that it's, it has provided Indigenous organizations with over $4.5 million in capital to pursue the development of Indigenous-owned social enterprise. Um, so, like, obviously that's something of interest as, uh, as the Powwow Pitch founder. Can you tell us a bit more about the program and how uh, you see it? Uh, impacting Indigenous communities? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the Investment Readiness Program, uh, it was started, I believe, in 2018. It's uh, ESDC, so Economic Social Development, uh, sorry, Employment and Social Development Canada, um, are the funders of this program at the national level. Um, the NEFC came on originally as a, a, a funding partner, so uh, we were kind of uh, tapped on by ESDC to uh, assist them in getting this this money out to urban indigenous communities. Um, so in the first iteration of our program, uh, we only funded friendship centers. And so we funded uh, uh, just under 50 friendship centers across the country. We rolled out about 2 point, 2 point some million, 2.2 million, I believe, uh, um, out to uh, friendship centers to start their own businesses. Um, this time around, we were able to access uh, uh, almost double that amount, and we opened the door to more than just friendship centers. So we opened it up to any and all urban indigenous social purpose organizations. Um, and yeah, the purpose of the program is to provide funding to assist these organizations in establishing their own social enterprises. And so businesses uh, that are owned and operated by these organizations, most of which are nonprofit organizations. And so the revenues generated from these businesses go back into the delivery of whatever the mission and vision of that organization is. Uh, it really varies right across um, uh, the program. We've funded all types of different organizations and businesses. Um, and we meet these organizations where they're at. So uh, we funded very early ideation and development business planning, feasibility studies, marketing plans. We've funded organizations that already have businesses to help them grow and expand and scale up. And we've funded organizations who have you know, completed that planning process and they want to start up their own businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, we provide them with some of that seed funding to, um, to get those businesses off the ground. Um, so it's, it's been a really great program, a really successful program. And yeah, we're, we're coming into the, the end of it now. We're actually planning on uh, announcing our second round recipients um hopefully next week <laughs> hopefully if things go well um and we'll we'll essentially be be complete with having distributed that 4.5 million out uh and over the next year we're going to be participating in this process of you know knowledge mobilization and information collection um so we'll be going across the country hopefully and documenting the successes of uh, all of these these social enterprises and uh, we're, we're planning on hosting a conference actually next year to bring together all of uh, the funded projects to be able to network and share with each other and, and learn from each other and build a community of indigenous uh, social purpose organizations uh, within the urban context that are doing this work in the social economy and social innovation and 
Yeah. So that's a mouthful, but that's essentially what the IRP is. I love it. Uh, hopefully you can count us in to be at that conference because those are my people. Those are the people that I love to uh, engage with. And there's always so much there's always so much creativity. That's what it really comes down to is, is creativity. Um, can you share with us some uh, success stories that you've seen so far from the investment readiness program? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I, I'll start with um, what I think is probably one of the, the, the stronger centers in the country as it relates to social enterprising, uh, which is the First Light Friendship Center in St. John's. Mm-hmm. Um, they own a number of social enterprises, but we funded uh, specifically them to uh, uh, develop their uh, what's called the Lunar Inn. Uh, so this is a, a hotel uh, that's owned by the Friendship Center. Um, it's a short stay hotel. It's absolutely beautiful. The interior has been designed by local indigenous artists. So each room was designed by an artist. It has its own um, its own style, its own representations within it. Um, and basically what they do, um, the, the really cool aspect of this, so they work with uh, um, neighboring uh, First Nations and Inuit communities. So when people are traveling to St. John's to access uh, health services, um, uh, any kind of programs and services in the city away from their community, um, instead of, let's say, that First Nation or that Inuit community paying like the Holiday Inn or Super 8 to host their community member for however long that person is going to be there for, that community would pay the Friendship Center uh, through that hotel business. who would host that person at that hotel. And the benefit of that is that that person now um, has access to the programs and services of the Friendship Centers. They're within a community, a safe space, a welcoming space that understands them and understands their needs. Uh, And so, you know, it reduces a lot of the harms associated with oftentimes these hotels, you know, that People who are traveling to the cities that have to stay at, you know, some of these hotels, they're, they're, they're not always in the best places. Those hotels, uh, there's often, you know, issues of, of racism and, and all that kind of nonsense. But, you know, that's all kind of mitigated by this hotel. So that's a really cool project. It also keeps Indigenous money in the Indigenous community. And so mm-hmm. instead of uh, our community spending their money uh, um, uh Externally, it, it's staying within the community. It's being redistributed back into the community through programs and services. Um, another really good example of a, a successful project is the Laclabish Friendship Center. Um, so they've um, uh, we funded them to develop a tourism enterprise. So they partnered with their local provincial park uh, up there in Alberta, uh, and they were able to. Um, through this partnership, basically be given some some sites uh, within the park to establish their own tourism kind of operation. So they were able to set up these like glamping teepees um, and people can book them uh, like you would book when you stay in the provincial park to for your camping site or whatever. Um, and they get like a full tourism cultural experience on the land that's facilitated through the Friendship Center. And those revenues, instead of going to the provincial park, um, go back to the Friendship Center itself. Uh, so it's a full tourism operation that the center is uh, uh, running, uh, uh, that they're running. And the last uh, the last really cool example that I'm going to provide is um, Build Incorporated in Winnipeg. They're not a Friendship Center. They're just an urban indigenous social purpose organization. We funded them last year to develop this program. So they actually work. Um, uh, they work with uh, uh, primarily men who are involved uh, in the criminal justice system, um, having a hard time, basically. So they, they train them in, in the trades to help them uh, uh, get into construction jobs, uh, contracting work, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what this organization does as well is they purchase properties that need to be redeveloped or uh, renovated. They use that as the opportunity to train these, uh, these people uh, in the trades. They renovate the space, they get these folks accredited, and then they sell the space, uh, you know, so they make money off the space itself, uh, and then they're able to purchase another place, continue the program and keep it growing while also generating revenues for the program itself. They're, they they want to work 
Now I'm going to try and explain this as, as efficiently as possible. They want to work with the local, or they are working with the local police force in Winnipeg and the municipality as well, the city. And they've essentially come up, coming up with an agreement. The police will provide the organization with a list of the people that they spend the most money dealing with in terms of these are people we encounter a lot that cost us a lot of money to police, basically. Mm-hmm. And through this agreement, they say this, this organization identifies from that list people that they work with as well. And the police say, if your program can keep them out of our hands, we'll transfer that money to you. Interesting. So the money that we're spending as a police force to police these people, we'll give you every month $5,000 if we don't see this person for those months. And so the, the organization is generating revenue through a transfer payment from the police for actually keeping people away from the police. And I was like, I saw this proposal and I was like, oh my God, that is the most innovative approach I've seen so far to one, like funding an organization through revenues, right, that are created. But it's not it's not a traditional business, obviously. It's not like that's that's not a business model, but it's a really like when we talk about social innovation, it's a really innovative approach to you know, there's a lot of conversations around police reform and, and yep. the police funding and all this kind of stuff. And they've, they've developed a really interesting way to divert funds away from policing and towards community organizations through an agreement with police. And it's really rare that you have a, a police agency that's willing to give up money. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's really interesting, too. But. Anyway, so when I saw this proposal, I was just kind of, you know, mind blown by it because I, I really think that, you know, we're seeing that urban indigenous organizations are coming up with really innovative solutions to some of the problems that we're experiencing in yeah. communities and creating models, sustain like sustainability models for themselves based on that. And so I just have to share it because I'm, I'm really excited about this project. I think it represents like, uh, a really creative and different way of of looking at um, uh, some of the problems in the in community, and also a different way of looking at how to generate revenue for an organization. So um, I'm just sharing it because I, I hope to like I hope it inspires other organizations and cities to think about like different ways of of, of doing things and doing business. Yeah, dude, I really, 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 really love that. That's actually so impressive. I, It sort of um, made me think of, you know, like res cops and they're, you know, they're, they're known as, as peacekeepers, right? And that's their job is to keep the peace and, uh, you know, um, there's no racism in community because you're all one and the same and you know each other's families. And although, yes, that's super stressful. Sorry, I'm going on a complete different tangent right now, but it's so beneficial when you're dealing with your community and you see like, okay, so the, the consequence of this action is not going to be like racism is not going to be a factor in this. And we are part of the community. And so it sort of reminds me of that, um, that they're finally kind of opening their eyes in urban centers now to see like, okay, yeah, like how come we're able to handle situations in community without um, as much violence, I'm going to say, than we see, you know, so much incarceration in urban centers of Indigenous people. And this, you know, my God, might be the the key into how that we, how we do things and not just, you know, doing things for the sake of doing good, but also, um, you know, people are getting paid to do it and being able to have a sustainable life doing um, this good work. All of the, all the things. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see that come to uh, fruition. I, I, and for all of these uh, yeah. businesses, where can we find them? Like the lunar Inn, the, the glamping and this, like, for people wanting to know yeah for sure um so um 
we haven't fully developed like a really robust tool, I guess you can say, for people to just kind of see what's out there. That's something that, um, um, you know, as a national organization, I think, you know, some sometimes our, our focus is often like get the money out the door mm-hmm. and fund these organizations and, and keep them kind of going. And so it often like it, it is hard to put time into like telling the story and showcasing what we do. Um, our executive director, Jocelyn Formsma, often says like friendship centers are Canada's best kept secret because not mm-hmm. a lot of people know about what we do because, you know, oftentimes we're so busy doing the work that it's hard to tell the story. Uh, so with this IRP, we actually made sure that we dedicated one, some funds and two, some time. So a full year this time around to actually be able to tell the story. So we're hoping that in the next, within the next year, we're able to kind of go around, collect everything, create a space or some kind of product that, you know, people can see right across the country where, what are all these urban indigenous organizations doing as it relates to social enterprising? Um, Where are all all these social enterprises? What types of businesses exist? How can you access these businesses? Because some of them, too, are like, you could definitely procure services from them. Like, we have the Watch A Friendship Center uh, in Courtney, B.C. that owns, like, a pretty industrial-sized screen printing studio um, that can do way more than just, like, T-shirts. They can do, like, large-scale printing, commercial printing, like... And they have, you know, they, they're doing pretty good in that business. Um, but, you know, you can think like if you're on the island in, in uh, um, Vancouver Island and you're looking for somebody to do screen printing, if, if we could, you know, make it known that this Friendship Center owns this industrial space, they actually own one of like five major industrial screen printing machines that do like the letters on your keyboard and stuff like oh, that kind of stuff. Like, mm. so they can actually facilitate quite a bit so i think if we make that known you know we can support their businesses uh, uh in, a, in, a, in a stronger way so that's work that we're doing for now um on our website and then nfc.ca uh under programs under investment readiness program there is a list of you know funded programs uh, a little bit about them some of them uh we do put out some media releases about the funded projects but as of right now there isn't a space to access all of that together, but that's something that we're working on. So stay tuned. Awesome. Yeah. Work in progress. I know like people, um, not just indigenous people, but like, you know, Canadians are always looking uh, to support indigenous business and looking for, you know, places to stay, things to buy, uh, to procure everything. Uh, So that might be a nice, uh, a nice place to look. And I, I didn't know that. So, um, and and I love the NAFC and the Friendship Center movement, and I didn't know that. So I hope some of our listeners are uh, are hearing that too, and and go check that out. Um, so how do you think Indigenous communities differ from Western economies from from what you've been seeing? Well, I think there's okay. So there's two parts to this question. One is like how are our our economies different, and two. How is the progress of our how is the progress of our economic systems and models different? So I, I think maybe I'll address first um, maybe the positive aspect of the question. So I think, well, for us, we've established kind of a framework or parameters for what we want to fund and, and how we view the social economy as it relates to our communities. Um, and so We've, we've set up these like three questions that we want to see answered when we're going to fund um, a, a, a social enterprise. And the first part of that is, um, does it address a social need? So is there a need for this business in the community? Is there um, a reason for it? So we, we don't just want to fund business for business sake, um, just making money to make money. But we wanted to address some kind of need within the community, identified need within the community. Um, the second aspect of that is that we want to know that see that the, the business has a positive social impact in the community. Um, 
So we don't want to get into businesses that might have, you know, a negative impact on the community or harm the community in some kind of way. And so really thinking ethically about the businesses that we want to fund, uh, how those businesses operate, um, uh, what types of, what, you know, what types of things they do and they get into and get involved with. And so that's another aspect of the question. And then the third is, does the business contribute to the generation of collective wealth in the community? And so we're looking at a different model of, um, of, of, of generating wealth where we look at, you know, how is money redistributed back into the community or, or kept within the community in a way that um, enriches everybody within the community, whether that's financially or culturally or through, you know, the expansion of our institutions and our services um, and so really thinking like more holistically about what wealth means and, and how we're, we're generating that within community. Um, I think at the bigger picture, Indigenous economies are like varied right across the board, right? You have very, I, what I try and do, I think personally in these conversations is try and ground it back into community and localize the conversations. Because I think whenever we talk about Indigenous economy, we're talking like, Big picture. Mm -hmm. I've, I've sat at a lot of tables where it's like people are talking like the billion dollar this, billion dollar that, um, you know, the fishing industries, the mining industries, pipelines, oil, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, that those are all great conversations. They, they have their place and their space. But I think often what slips through those conversations at those really high level tables is that, you know, there's um, a, a large indigenous economy that isn't participating in, you know, all these large scale natural resource development projects and such, you know, you have like the hair salon owners and the clothing store owners and, you know, um, the small entrepreneurs that are, that are creating sustenance for themselves and their families. Um, and, and that's, and that's maintaining them. And, and I think at these big, big high level conversations around indigenous economies, we often forget about, those people and those people doing that good work on the ground in those smaller contexts. And so I think that's something important to think about and, and, and reflect on. The second part about this when it comes to Indigenous economies um, is in comparison to Western economies, I think um, there's a significant, like, uh, in terms of, I think about like a horse race, uh, the gate opened for Western economies uh, way earlier than it did for our economies. Um, the gate was actually kept closed for us for a long time. And so, you know, we look at um, the Indian Act system uh, and all of these things that were in place that actually prevented our communities from participating in the economy, from accessing we're, capital. Were and still are. Though. Yes, and still are, for sure, 100%. But Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but like that's an important, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely important. Yeah, and still are. There's still a lot, and we, we talk about this in our work a lot, but there's still a lot of barriers to accessing capital from traditional, you know, financial institutions. Um, and then use, utilizing our our land as um, uh, 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 a resource to generate wealth. So I, I think we see that for a lot of Canadians, um the economic system and wealth of Canada has trickled down through the generations uh, through the resource of land. Uh, and so I think about, you know, I brought this up. I was at a, uh, the Broadbent Progress Institute the other day, but, you know, I said a lot of people in the room, I said, have inherited their economic position from their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents. But at one point in that line, Somebody was given something for free. Somebody was given an economic handout and that was stolen mm -hmm. from somebody else. And so the, the race is rigged from the start, essentially, is, is, is my point. Uh, and so in order to, 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 to create some kind of parity or equity, um, our communities, one, um, the financial institutions that regulate this country need some, some major reforms. Mm -hmm. But two... We need access to non-repayable capital in the form of some kind of economic restitution. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about um, Western communities or Canadian communities, mainstream communities borrowing money 
and our communities borrowing money, it's not at the same playing field or the same level. Um, and so we need to think about business development in a different way and how we inject money into our communities in a different way and thinking about whether loan systems and all this kind of stuff is the appropriate way to address a community that's been essentially you know, banned from the horse race mm-hmm. while the other horses are all running, right? And mm-hmm. so is lending that, you know, that horse money at, you know, whatever interest rate, the proper way to actually get it to be able to catch up to the race? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. So that's kind of my, some, some of the, the thoughts around that as well. Yeah, you brought up so many points and like even the term wealth, like what does that mean? It's all relative, right? So like when we think wealth, uh, you know, I'm even going to think uh, of KZ, like people, oh my God, the people are like, oh, money bags over there. Okay, take it easy with that term. Consider someone else in the city. You know, I just bought a t-shirt um, that said, pay me like uh, a white man. And if there was uh, a white man doing my job, let's say, um, I'm, I'm pretty confident he'd get paid yeah. pretty friggin' well for, for the work that I personally do. But in terms of how our community yeah. looks at me, it's like, wow, when really compared to the scale of like compared to Canadian standards, let's say, um, I do OK. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm upper class. I w- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to go from what I thought yeah. was like we were rich uh, in me and my mom's house. You know, it was just the two of us for a long time. But she was a, a single mom and she was a teacher and everyone said I was so rich. Wow. In what other world does a single mom who's a teacher and then principal after uh, are they considered rich? Do you know what I mean? Like, so the standard on that yeah. is very skewed. Yeah. So when we say wealth compared to what non-Indigenous organizations uh, consider wealth, it's vastly different. So we have to be cautious when we use those words. And I think you that point that you brought up about, oh, yeah. um, which made me think of your mom, uh coincidentally, about like the hair salon. Um, I think that like, you know, I always talk about work that's being done in community because um, in my eyes and, and the work that I do is prosperity in any form um, in Indigenous community is social innovation. That's it, period. Yeah. And if that means yeah. one household has prosperity amazing that is socially innovative um yes obviously we're gonna hope that you know you have the you know traditional teachings where you know you're honest or you're uh you know all love and you do everything with those good feelings and not harming anybody and all that stuff but like i think Mm um in my eyes anyways most of the businesses and you know at powwow pitch we get to see so many businesses, they're all socially innovative because they all give back. They're all changing. They're mm-hmm. all becoming uh, wealthy, however, however that looks. So um, what does that mean to you, wealthy? Huh, yeah. Um, I definitely think about it in, in more than just, you know, the, the sense of money. Um, I, I do think that there, there is an aspect of like financial security and safety in that realm of wealth. Um, but I think it's being able to like enjoy life, to be able to enjoy life um, in a good and healthy way, whether that's like being able to be with your family and actually have time to be with your family and build family and, and community um, to be able to do the things that you love to do, to have the time to do the things that you love to do and the means to do the things that you love to do, um, to be able to, to like um, understand who you are yourself. So I think about it really like holistically, mm-hmm. like, and, and, and unfortunately within the system that, that we live in, a lot of that is tied up in money. It is tied up in like, um, you know, if, if to have the time and the space to do all of the things that, you know, make us happy people, we often need to be in these like financially secure positions uh, in life. And then, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, obviously, but um, uh, there is some aspect of like 
financial security tied into it. So that's why I say on some level there is like this this need to build an, an economic system that is healthy for our communities in order to, to, to be able to create the means and spaces for a lot of these things to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me it's it's wrapped up in, in family, in community, um, in culture, um, and just just general like uh, being able to live, uh, I don't know, I'll be cliche, be like to live the good life. Um, but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think it's really tied up in that. Like for me, wealth is, uh, and okay, here's, okay, the big aspect, I guess, of now I'm thinking through it. Wealth is inherited. Mm-hmm. And I think about that. I think about my own family um and i brought this up at a a thing i was talking about the other day you know i was saying when and i'm not trying to go down this dark path but when in the future when i'm old and you know my parents are are gone my grandparents are gone i'm probably not you know like the inheritance that we look at it's like what is what are we able to hand down to our children and our grandchildren Mm -hmm. what are we giving them when we move on in life and what have we built in this life that we can hand off to them? And whether that's um, uh, models for their own sustainability in life, whether that's teachings that we can hand down to them as well, our, our, our cultural knowledge, our history, our ancestral knowledge, and whether that's wealth as well. And I think about the non-Indigenous community. Uh, and, you know, I'll just say, like, I, I I think a lot of other communities are exempt from this as well. I think about like newcomer communities aren't really, you know, inheriting and, and wealth and such. My grandparents that came from Syria have not a whole lot to give to us, mm-hmm. you know, because of the, the systems that were in place. Um, but I think about that as wealth is something that we accumulate in our life, whether that's financial or cultural or, 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 you know, family, whatever that is. And it's something that we then give on to our children and our grandchildren mm-hmm. uh, and, and on and on and on and on. Um, and so I think for me, that's, it's, it's something that we inherit and that we have to give back to our, our, our next generations and whatever form that looks like. And so you can apply that to cultural wealth and language. So, Let's say for us being able to relearn our, our languages or our cultures, our ceremonies, our identities, being able to gift that to our children and our grandchildren is going to build healthier and stronger communities and happier communities as well, right? Mm-hmm. So not just financial, but um, or being able to build a house. I know, like you know, you just you you finish building a house, right? And like you know, that's something that you can give to your kids, you know, and that's like something that not a lot of us. You know, I think about certain, some generations as you get closer and closer to proximity to like the really colonial eras, right? A lot of our parents, grandparents, great grandparents inherited like nothing mm-hmm. when they're, you know, when their parents passed on because of the systems that were in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just just to think about that. Yeah, yeah I um, I actually appreciate you bringing that up because, again, we talk about wealth and all that stuff, but like in community for, for people who um, are not indigenous or who don't live on a reserve or whatever, I can't go to the bank and get a loan to build a house on my reserve. It's like that across Canada. So how are you supposed to build a house (laughs) without any capital or without Mm -hmm. a mortgage? Like seriously, think about that. And so in our community, we have uh, a lottery system where they literally put your name on a bingo ball and a number. (laughs) If you qualify, you know, if you have your 5% or whatever, and you go to the bingo hall and they roll it in the bingo thing. And if your number comes out, guess what? You're one of the chosen, however many, when I registered, I think it was five. You're one of the five out of who knows how many applicants to be chosen to build a house. And they give you a, a loan and they give you, um, uh, a grant. So one is, you know, you have to repay low interest and one is a grant. And I think it adds added up to at the time, 90,000 with the grant and the loan and the rest you have to come up, uh, Mm -hmm. on your own. So 
Okay, where are you going to get this money? Well, if you ask anybody else, they're going to say, well, you know, ask your parents. What? My parents were in the same system as this. They don't have however much 120 grand just laying around. Here you go, my girl, go make yourself a house. So, um, you know, all the traditional things that you read about generating wealth, like ask your friends, ask your family. Well, what about if they're broke too? Like what? that's the community. Like they don't have this like an abundance of money in their bank account. And so, um, you know, in the end, money is freedom. It's a, it's a tool to get freedom. But when there are certain things like a housing, housing crisis and the, and the policies and the systems in place to hinder you from having these basic necessities to live, there are so many more hurdles that Indigenous people have to face. Fact. This is not bullshit. Like this is like there are. So how do we take down those hurdles so that it is a level playing field? Right. Like, hello, let us enter the race, but quit putting the hurdles in our way to therefore participate equally. And that's sort of the whole um, that's sort of one piece of this big giant puzzle. Right. Um, so thank you for bringing all those things up. I think we can, we can talk for hours and hours about all of these things. Um, so, um, I'm going to ask you one more question before we close it up. Um, how can, how do you think indigenous entrepreneurs can best support their community? Yeah, I, I think it's really around looking at community, speaking with community, engaging with community and really realizing, you know, what is missing what is missing in community or what is not being um, delivered maybe in an effective way. Um, And I've often, (laughs) I hope I don't end up speaking too bluntly or honestly here and biting my lip after, but um, I think sometimes we, there's things in community that are maybe offered, um, by administrative services that don't really have the capacity to offer them. And I think if somebody in community said, you know what, I can offer this service, I can do this service, um, probably uh, more efficiently with a better quality and, you know, and the money will actually trickle into community itself through employment and programs or whatever that might be to pitch that to community. Um, I think about all types of different, you know, programs and services that, that communities try to administer themselves. Uh, and it's tricky. Running a whole community is tricky. And so some things obviously kind of fall by the wayside and there's gaps. And so really as an entrepreneur, it's looking at, you know, your environment, seeing either one, what's missing, or two, what needs improvement. And, you know, trying to build maybe a business around that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I know, you know, Quam, you've been involved in this too. Like, you know, um, you you saw that there's a there's the, the water issues right in our communities and a lot of your business work has been focused on that and i think you know a lot of entrepreneurs look at you know what needs to be fixed quote unquote in communities and then build the business around that and then think about that but i think ultimately it's like looking at those three questions like what's the need mm-hmm. and what can i do to provide a positive impact in community mm-hmm. and i think if we just really just look at those two questions it can really help us guide um, our own business development and our own way of thinking and just like um, uh, developing our own kind of system of ethics and values that, that, that we can think about as it relates to doing business um, and utilizing our traditional knowledge and values to inform that. I, I remember listening to a, a talk uh, by somebody I respect um, uh, very much and they were saying, you know, like our traditional stories have values and ethics related to business as well and to principles of business and economics and the, the point they were trying to make was that there's some things and some places in our stories that people don't go or just don't do because you just don't do that or you just don't go there mm-hmm. and applying that back into business it's like there's some things that you know within our ethical value system it's like this is the things we do and these are the things that we don't do. And so it's like, you know, trying to rebuild that and think about that as it relates to business 
is important too. And that looks different right across the board, depending on what community you're from and who you're engaging with. So that's another aspect of it. But yeah, I'm talking too much. I would say just find the gaps, find the needs and find the point of impact. And I think you'll be able to, to really help community in that way. No, I love that. Um, it's all valuable information that we have to keep uh, perspective on that. It's really about thoughtful reflection in the work that you're doing within your community. Um, so last thing, what do you want our listeners to take away from our chat today? Um, I guess just that there's a movement across the country right now of people who are thinking about business differently they're thinking about the economy differently um we're shifting away from um or realizing that kind of mainstream financial systems mainstream capitalist systems are not necessarily working for everyone in the community and that we need to think about alternative ways of sustaining our communities sustaining our organizations and sustaining ourselves um, in ways that are like nurturing and supportive and uh, build collective wealth within our communities. So if you're interested in all of that work, um, check out what the NAFC is doing. Check out what other organizations like uh, NACA, National Aboriginal Capital Corporations Association, are doing. Uh, they're doing some really good work in this as well. Um yeah, the Foundation for Black Communities, they're doing really good work in this type of stuff as well. So, I mean, there's there's organizations doing work in this. So if you're interested in it, Google social economy in Canada and go down that rabbit hole and see where you end up. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very, very much, Shadi. Uh, honored to be your first podcast host. Look at us. Um, thank you for sharing your big old brain with us today. I, uh, I know it's been helpful for me to, it, it's always a nice reminder to think about these things. Um, oftentimes with just a little bit of different perspective. So, uh, miigwech, we'll see you on the powwow trail. Miigwech. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on the Powwow Pitch Podcast, dedicated to empowering Indigenous entrepreneurs. The Powwow Pitch Podcast is recorded at the Adawe Indigenous Business Hub Studio, powered by NACA. Thank you to our co-presenting partners, RBC, Shopify, and MasterCard. And to our producers, Victoria Lennox and Cyprian Shalankiewicz. And to everyone who makes Powwow Pitch possible. Be sure to visit powwowpitch.org to explore how we can support you to start your business and sign up to our newsletter to learn more about the Powwow Pitch Competition, the Indigenous Entrepreneur Awards, the Indigenous Startup Program, the Powwow Pitch Box, and powwowmarket.com. Until next time, I am your host, Sunshine Tenasco. Miigwech. Miigwech.